0: Amen. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, we were seeing the beginning of the great Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, not on the mouth. On the mouth of Jesus, but on the Mount of Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, it tells us, "...and seeing the multitudes..." Jesus had just healed people from all over that region. He sees the multitudes and then He goes up on a mountain. If you were with us on the Israel trip, we worked our way from up down and we walked down the Mount of Beatitudes there to the Sea of Galilee. Here at the end of the sermon, at the end of the Bible study, Jesus begins to go down towards the Sea of Galilee off of the mountain. We're going to see he's going to go and hang a left and head towards Capernaum. And it's a blessing for us to see that these multitudes are following him based on the word. These multitudes, they are following Him based on His teaching. I pray for us as a church that we're here and we're growing because we have a hunger and thirst for the Word. Oftentimes throughout the Gospels, we see multitudes following Jesus for the free food. And that's why they're following Jesus. If you have a church event and you want to increase the amount of attendees, all you have to do is mention two words. Free food. And your attendance will dramatically move up. And there were multitudes following Jesus for the free food. There's another group of multitudes following Jesus for what He can do for for them. They were searching out for His healing and His miracles in their lives. And there were multitudes following Jesus only because they wanted Him to do something for Him. Finally, there were multitudes following Jesus for the show. For the miracles, they didn't necessarily want a miracle in their life, but they just wanted maybe the free entertainment. They wanted to be entertained. They just wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves, if you would. And even today, you have people attending churches that they know it's off. They see a a guy taking off his jacket, smacking people, and they're shaking on the floor, and crazy things are happening. And yet multitudes will gather to just see this show happening. But what a joy to see multitudes following after Jesus simply for his teaching. I pray that's, that would be who we are. And yet in, in the midst of this whole multitude coming down off the mountain, it tells us, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Leprosy was an unpleasant and painful disease. It was also an incurable disease at this time. It's still incurable today. Today we can stop it and pause it, yet it's still incurable. Leprosy would begin deep beneath the skin. You wouldn't know that you have leprosy going on inside of you, but sooner or later you'd have maybe perhaps a little red mark or a little white rash, and at first you would lose senses. You could lose senses in your fingers, senses on your face, senses on your feet, a type of neuropathy on some type of your body. But it won't just stop there. From there, it'll continue to spread throughout your body slowly but surely. Continuing to dull your senses, you lose more and more feeling and more and more touch. And then it grows to the point that you're missing pieces of your body whether it's just the disease eating away at your own flesh or not being able to feel burns happening or funguses eating away at you, even the horror of being asleep at night and rodents and animals nibbling on your body, but you don't wake up because you can't feel it. The disease was also so highly contagious that you'd have to immediately separate from your loved ones. Your family and even the city you were living in, you'd have to move outside the walls of the city and live the rest of your life there. William Barclay, he says, leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected and then the muscles begin to waste away, leading to your tendons contracting until the point where your hands and feet are like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and feet and then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end, a whole hand or whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. Slowly but surely, this death taking over your body. In this culture, they were seen as the living dead. Our our culture goes through different phases. We went through our zombie phase. Then we went through our superhero phase. I don't know what's the next phase of Hollywood and movies. Hopefully it's just dead and done, separate teaching. But the living dead is literally what these groups of lepers would look like. Missing hands, missing feet, missing noses, ears, literally looking like the living dead. In Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, I don't know if it's anyone's favorite chapters, but there are over a hundred verses just on leprosy, how to properly diagnose it, how to deal with it, how to separate, what happens. And finally, in chapter 14, there is a sacrifice made for someone that's been healed from leprosy. But after shaving your whole body, if you still had leprosy, Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46 tells us how your life would completely change. It tells us, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. He shall cover his mustache, he has to cover his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Lepers would have to stand at least six feet away from others. And if they were upwind, they would have to stay at least 150 feet away from other people. Religious men and women... The Pharisees saw leprosy as a sinful curse. The only curse worse than leprosy would be death itself. If you, have any, if you want any idea what did it feel like to have leprosy, just take yourself back to 2020. When you get the, the disease, I have COVID, right? And how your whole family responds. Well, it's nice knowing you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, right? Thanksgiving. You can't come to Thanksgiving. You can put your hand on the glass and we'll touch hands, right? That, that, that instant feeling, that instant feeling of separation. These people that you loved and cared for, now they see you as diseased. Separation has to take place. What if you get me infected? Imagine that on a scale of weeks and months and years. The, the horror, the separation. In Luke chapter 5 verse 12, it tells us that he was a man full of leprosy and he sees Jesus and he fell on his face and he implored him he's full of leprosy it's not that it has just begun perhaps he's lo- he's missing a foot he's missing a hand his ears his nose he is full of leprosy J. Vernon McGee he gives us some insight to perhaps the backstory of this man he says have you ever stopped to think that this man not only had the physical disease of leprosy But that he had a psychological hang-up, that was terrible. I don't know this man's background, but I imagine that one day he noticed a breaking out on his hand. Perhaps he had been plowing out in the field and he came in, he showed his wife and she puts on some ointment. However, the next morning, it was just as red as it could be. Yet he goes out and he plows again in the field. This goes on for a few days, then about a week, and his wife started getting uneasy. She suggested that he go out and visit the priest. He goes to the priest, and the priest shaves, has him shave his whole body and isolates him for 14 days. At the end of this period of time, the disease has spread. The priest tells him, you have leprosy. The man asks the priest if he can go home and tell his wife and his children his disease and say his goodbyes. However, the priest says, I'm sorry. You cannot tell them goodbye. You cannot put your arm around your wife ever again or hold your children in your arms anymore. When anyone comes near to you, now you must cry out, unclean, unclean. He had to see his children grow up from a distance. They would leave food in a certain place for him And he would have to come and get it as they would withdraw from the food. He could no longer touch them. In fact, he had not been able to touch anyone, nor had anyone been able to touch him. And then one day, he came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what did the Lord Jesus do? He reached out and he touched him. May I say to you that the touch of Jesus was one of the most wonderful things that had ever happened to that man. It not only cleansed his leprosy, but it brought him back into the family of mankind and into the family of God. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So think of the weight of what this man went through. And notice his question to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Notice he does not ask, Lord, if you love me, you can make me clean. It's not the love of God that determines someone's health. It is not the love of God that determines someone's healing or the season of life that you are in. It is the will of God that determines that. Perhaps the wages of your own sin has determined the season of life that that you are in. But it's important for us to pray biblical prayers. And oftentimes, biblical prayers are short prayers. I love that. Biblical prayers, oftentimes, they're short prayers. Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. We can think of Jesus in the Lord's prayer. He says, Lord, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. Family, the fact that you are Letting go of your will and your desires and saying, God, your will be done, does not reveal a lack of faith in you. Sometimes if someone just says, Hey, maybe it's God's will for me to be healed or me to die, and sometimes believers will jump on that and say, You have to have faith. You have to change your mindset. You can't have any weakness. This man didn't say, Hey, I know you could do X, Y, or Z. I know you're gonna do this. You know, he just says, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. And this is the faith of this man the great faith of this man no one had been healed of leprosy since naaman the commander of the syrians listened to the prophet elisha nearly a thousand years earlier before naaman the only other person we see healed of leprosy is Moses' sister miriam and yet this man comes having no knowledge of anyone in his life being healed of leprosy or in the history of Israel being healed of leprosy, except for two, and he comes to Jesus. All the while, he sees a multitude. Normally, he'd have to run the other direction. And yet, because he knows the poor state that he's in, he's crying out, unclean, unclean, as he's heading towards the multitude, because Jesus is in the midst of them. Perhaps he's heard of the other miracles, the other healings, and yet he goes towards Jesus crying out, unclean, unclean. He then falls on his face and worships him. And what's the very first word out of his mouth? Lord. The very first word out of this man's mouth is Lord. And here we have the first recorded person in Scripture calling Jesus Lord He does not ask if he has the power to heal him. He does not ask if he has the ability to heal him. He knows that he possesses it. He just wonders, Lord, is it your will to cleanse me? And this leper is asking for so much more than the physical healing from his leprosy. He is asking to be made clean, to be made whole, both physically and spiritually and perhaps mentally. The pain and agony that he's gone through. And family, guess what? Leprosy is a symbol of our sin. Whenever you see leprosy in scripture, take a step back and consider your own sin. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. We'll turn back here later on in the Bible study as well. But in Isaiah chapter 1, so important for us to notice Isaiah speaking on behalf of God to Judah and their wickedness. And our world paints sin as something so beautiful, something so fun, something so delightful, and yet the reality is that the wages of sin is death. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, Children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds, And bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. This is the proper view of our sin. It is like a gaping, oozing wound that has not been met or covered or brought any medicine to. And our sin, like leprosy, is unpleasant and always painful. Our sin, like leprosy, is incurable apart from Jesus Christ. Our sin, like leprosy, begins deep within us where no one can see what's happening. But sooner or later, we begin to lose our senses. We don't even realize what's happening till afterwards. Perhaps you're watching a movie or a show. Your your speech, your conduct, what would once sort of shake your senses and, and just elicit a response out of you, now causes no difference in your body, your physical form, or your senses because you have become dull due to your sin. Our sin, like leprosy, is also highly contagious. If it is not met with the biblical medicine, it will continue to spread amongst the people that we love and care about. It causes separation from the people that we love. It can make us an outcast. And we will begin to walk around like that zombie. Like the living dead. You may be physically alive. Perhaps you were able to walk into church this morning. And yet you are spiritually dead and numb. So many have lost so much because of sin. Not only in their own physical bodies due to the effects of drugs and alcohol, but also sexually transmitted diseases and the rapid aging process that happens when someone is living the stressful life of sin. I don't know if you've ever seen someone, you you meet them like, man, how old is this person? Hey, how how old are you? You're in your 50s, your 60s, maybe your 70s. No, 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 I'm 35. You're going, what? (laughs) And it's because they've lived a life of sin. Their body has been destroyed. Their face has been destroyed because of the sin and shame and weight of their sins. One of the most incredible things, uh, I think of Kent Graves and the CRD program, and they put pictures of when men first come to the program to when they're leaving the program. And you see, it's like a de-aging process that happens. They come in after all those drugs, all these wrinkles, all Bowel, right? I don't know how you say that in English, right? But they look terrible. They look like a skeleton. And yet at the end of it, it looks like a man that has life once again. A woman that has taken 10, 20 years off of their lives. And the wages of sin is always death and decay. You will lose family and friends and loved ones because your sinful state separates those that you love. Or even worse, your sinful state spreads into the very people that you love and care about. It causes others to be concerned about your very presence because you are seen as unclean, unclean. Friend, if this is you, do you see your need to be healed? Have you come to the end of yourself and are you willing to be cleansed? I encourage you, humble yourself let go of your pride, run to Jesus, fall to your face and worship him as Lord and Savior, crying out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper, you see, he had nothing left to lose. Many of us were afraid to come to Jesus because we still think we have something to lose. We may, hey, what are people going to think about me? Right? The beautiful thing we have here at church, you're allowed to come up front to pray with one of the pastors. There's air conditioning, there's nice singing, sometimes they even dim the lights, and you can just come up and ask for prayer. No one asks, hey, if you want to come up front for prayer, you have to be declaring as you're walking up, sinner, sinner. No one's saying that. And yet our own fear of preserving our dead self-righteousness so often keeps us from coming up and praying. We know we just had a huge blowout, a huge fight with our spouse. We know that our kids are in a difficult spot. We know that there's sin ruling and reigning in our lives. And yet our own self-preservation of this glass symbol that we've built up keeps us from crying out to Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Those who call Jesus Lord and do not worship him are more diseased than this leper was. Perhaps you you sung the songs. The songs are beautiful. So much power within the songs. But if your life does not declare true worship to Jesus Christ, you are more diseased than this leper because this leper possessed so much humility and faith. This leper is the personification of so much of Scripture. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us these blessed are the fill in the blank. And in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, this leper came to the end of himself. He realized just how poor he was. And if you are able to truly own how poor you are spiritually, that if you do not beg to Jesus today, you will die this evening for lack of nourishment, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. But if you think that you are spiritually rich in your own righteousness or in your own building that you've made, the kingdom of heaven is not yours. Blessed are those who mourn. This is speaking of those who mourn at their own spiritual state. They're mourning over their own spiritual state. And because they're mourning over their sin, God says they will be comforted. James chapter 4 verse 6 tells us that he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The leper doesn't approach him and say, you know how long I've been in this. You know how much I've lost. You know the other person the one that gave this to me? Not at all. He just falls on his face and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. May each of us continue to fall on our faces and worship Him. May we cry out and agree with His Lordship over us and His Lordship over all of humanity. And may each of us know that He is more than willing. He desires to cleanse you from your sins. The question is, do you? Do you not want to be cleansed of your sins? Or do you want to continue to hold on to that self-righteousness? Do you want to continue to own your pride? Do you want to continue to hold up this facade that you've put up? Back to Isaiah chapter 1. Notice what God tells this nation of Judah and their sin. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. He says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice and rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Again, he desires he desires to cleanse us and wash us and separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. But are we willing and obedient to him? We have to, like this leper, not allow the multitudes to put fear in us and keep us from coming to him. But just as Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One last scripture on this repentance. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us. From all sin. Back to Matthew chapter 8 verse 3. It tells us then Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 41 gives us more insight to this same occasion. It tells us then Jesus moved with compassion. How often in scripture and the gospels you see our Lord and Savior. He is moved with compassion with love for people. That's one of the reasons he heals people and meets people in their time of need. He has compassion over them. It tells us, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Again, what did that sensation feel like for this man who had not been touched for years? And then Jesus, he even adds to it, and he says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately... His leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Oh, the compassion of Jesus Christ. He could have healed this man in whatever manner he felt like, to be quite honest. We know that in Luke chapter 17, there is a group of 10 lepers that come to meet Jesus they stay afar off from him and they yell saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when Jesus sees them, he says, hey, you 10, go and show yourselves to the priest. And that's all he tells them. They obey and as they're walking to go to the priest, it says that they were cleansed as they were walking away. Yet to this man, Jesus is moved with so much compassion that as this leper is on his face, Pleading and worshiping, repeatedly saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, it's not a question of your power, your ability, or your love. God, it's just, is this your will? And Jesus, based on his compassion, makes the decision to break the Jewish law, to touch this sick and unclean man, and then he assures him that he is willing to cleanse him. It's the same with us today. No matter where you are at, If religion has left you dead, if religious leaders have left you for dead, your families left you, if everything has been destroyed as a result of your own sin, humble yourself. Cry out to Christ. He is more than willing to cleanse you. More than willing to cleanse you. More than willing to cleanse us sinners. This is his desire, is to heal us and free us from our sins. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus reading the book of Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Hey, if you're poor and brokenhearted, And held captive by your sin. Perhaps you're blinded to your own sin and where you're at. Hey, this is exactly why Jesus has come. To free you. To heal you. To mend your broken heart. However, what's required is our declaration of his lordship. And our worship of him. Verse 4. Jesus, we see what he is completely about. Jesus tells him, hey, see that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony. For many ministries today, they would have taken this man and said, hey, next Sunday, we want you to start off the service. You come up front, you warm up the crowd with your testimony, you hype them up, and then I'm going to come in and we're going to pass the offering plate. No, that's a separate teaching, right? We're going to do this and you'll warm them up. However, Jesus is more concerned about this man's personal life the life of his family, and the testimony for the priests. Jesus, he's not looking to use this man for his own gain. Jesus has come to bless this man and to bless his family. And what a testimony for the religious leaders. You see, these high priests and their fathers, the high priest before them, and their grandfathers, the high priest before them, had never healed someone of their leprosy. The only reaction the priest had with leprosy is either shaving someone's whole body and realizing they don't have leprosy or realizing they do have leprosy. And then once someone's given the bad news, they would just go off and sooner or later die because of their sickness. And yet Jesus heals this man first and Jesus heals many more lepers. Again, imagine the high priest, one man coming and saying, hey, I I think I'm healed of my leprosy do you know what to do? I don't know what to do. My, I've never done this before. Did your dad ever do it? No, my dad never did anything like this before. And they would literally have to turn in scripture and go, okay, uh, Leviticus chapter 14, we haven't looked at this one in a while, right? And they'd have to go through the sacrifice that was required of a man healed from leprosy. And here we see Jesus, he's even trying to reach the religious leaders. He's trying to reach them and reveal to them that the only one that can heal the incurable diseases is here. And yet, how hard hearted the religious leaders were. They didn't want to realize his ownership, they didn't want to realize and agree with him being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's so interesting because Jesus tells this man hey, don't say anything. Don't say a word about this to anyone. Just go to the priest and be restored to your life socially, be restored spiritually, and go back to your family. However, Mark chapter 1, verse 45 tells us that he went out and he began to proclaim it freely. And he spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Jesus tells his man, keep it to yourself, and yet he can't help but tell everyone and everyone that he knows. Isn't this so interesting? We get freed and healed from our incurable disease of sin. And what does Jesus tell us to do at the end of the Gospels? Go. Go and tell. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the Gospel. That's what he's called for every single one of us. Jesus tells this man, go and don't say anything, and he goes out and proclaims it freely. Jesus tells us to go out into the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples, and yet we are fearful and allow our fear to dominate us. Can I say to us, family, may we begin to be like this leper and just realize how much we have to be thankful for because of Jesus Christ's touch in our lives. How it's changed my life, the life of my family, the life of my marriage, the life of my children. May we go out and tell others, our family, our friends, our co-workers, the random person at Publix or Sedanos or wherever you're at. Share with them the good news of Jesus' healing touch in your life. Now in verse 5, we see this centurion or we're going to see perhaps his servants that come and speak with Jesus. Verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, what's the first word there once again? Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy That you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, Go and he goes, and to another, Come and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7, and in Luke chapter 7, we see Dr. Luke's account of this same exact interaction with Jesus Christ. However, Luke gives us more details that the centurion sent a group of Jewish men to speak with Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, He came to Capernaum. If you went with us to Israel, you could picture here where this is on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly Saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Two important things to see here. First and foremost, we see the humility of this high-ranking Roman soldier. And it's a common thread in both of these men that are healed. It's a humble plea that the Lord answers. Whether it's a lowly Jewish leper or it's a, a Gentile high-ranking Roman centurion, we need to come to Jesus with a humble plea. It's not a demanding that this would happen or a yelling at him, oh, you got to name it and claim it by faith. Not at all. Come to him with a humble plea knowing that you are not worthy of it all. This centurion, he sends servants on his behalf. And just like today, an ambassador or a delegate of a government doesn't speak on their own accord, they're supposed to speak on the accord and the interests of their president or of the nation that's sending them. And the same is here with the centurion. He sent servants and a group of Jewish men to go and speak to Jesus Christ. Perhaps this centurion understanding the Hebrew law did not want to put Jesus in a predicament where now he had to go and be cleaned once again because he met with a Gentile or he'd come to his house and have to be cleansed and go through all that religious rut of being cleansed. So he, having so much faith, sends a, delegate, a delegation of Jewish men to speak with Jesus. And it's so interesting. The Jewish men, they say, hey, he's worthy of you answering his plea. And yet the centurion says, hey, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to the point that you should even come into my own home. Family, do you think that you are worthy of it all? Do you think that you're worthy of this relationship with Jesus Christ, that you somehow deserve it? Do you think you're worthy of being a part of this church or you're worthy of where you serve or you're worthy of your health or wealth or the goodness in your life? Are you just always patting yourself on the back saying, yeah, of course I deserve all these things. Or do you, like this great man in authority and under authority, realize, I don't, I'm not worthy of any of this. This is all just the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. We see this centurion trusts in the word of Jesus Christ and how we have such a lack today. And just trusting in the word of Christ. Whatever his word says, I will do and it will happen. Are we there? Because this man says in Luke 7, 7, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go when he goes and to another, come when he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Oftentimes within Christianity, you'll hear people say, I only listen to God. No man can speak into my life. I'm here and I talk to God and God alone. We see that this man says the only reason he has authority is because he's under authority. That when this man speaks to his soldiers, it's not him that is speaking, but it's the whole power of Rome behind him speaking to his soldiers. And if his soldiers dishonor or disagree or disobey the centurion, they are disobeying Caesar himself. And it's the same with Jesus Christ and the word of God. It's not just that we're disobeying his word. We're disobeying all the power behind that word. We're disobeying the word being made flesh. We're disobeying Jesus Christ, his lordship. We're disobeying God, the creator of heaven and earth. And here he trusts Hey, you have the word and you have the power. And if you will it and you say it, it's just going to happen. I love his prayer because he doesn't give Jesus the prescription to heal and attend to his needs. And if we're honest, oftentimes our prayer life, we just sound like a backseat driver. Jesus, this is how you should heal me. Jesus, this is how you should fix this situation. Jesus, I need X and X amount of money in my bank account, and then I'll be okay. Jesus, I need you to give me this job, and then this will happen. No, he just says, Lord, this is the need. You do with it as you will. And it's such a prescription to protect us from anxiety and fear. Anxiety and fear, we just hold on to our need, and we just sort of stew in it like a vinegar almost. And we're just destroying ourselves. Prayer is taking our needs and just throwing them up to the Lord. Saying, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. I know your scripture says you already know my needs before I ask, but I'm being obedient. And once again, how Jesus answers a short prayer. Charles Spurgeon says, he seeks a cure, but does not prescribe to the Lord how or where he shall work it. In fact, he does not put his request into words, but pleads the case and lets the sorrow speak. We could think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when he turns the water into wine. She does not give Jesus the prescription for how to deal with the problem. All she does is bring the problem to Jesus' attention. And then she tells the servant, hey, whatever he says, do it. The same needs to be in our lives. May we pray and say, Jesus, you deal with this however you want, but then may we be ready and willing that whatever his word says, we do it, and we do it quickly. The centurion trusted in the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ over everything, including disease. F.B. Meyer, he says, as the authority of Caesar's flowed through his own yielded life, So the authority of God over diseases, demons, and all else would flow through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus, he says that he marvels at his faith, is what Luke tells us. He marveled at him. And then he turns around and he says to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well Who had been sick. How soon was the servant healed? Immediately. How soon was the leper healed? Immediately. For us to realize what's going on. For the leper, again, maybe he's lost hand. He's lost a foot. He's lost his nose, his ear. And in a moment, he's healed. No physical therapy. No surgery required. No healing. No black and blues. In an instant, how the Lord heals him. In an instant, the Lord heals this servant. And if you are willing, you will be healed from your sins in an instant. You may still have repercussions. You may still have to reap what you've sown. But he's more than willing to heal you from your sins in an instant. So often we want a man-made five-step, ten-step, fifteen-step process. It takes two steps to be healed from our sins. Repent from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. And he's more than willing to heal us and cleanse us. It tells us that he marveled. This only happens twice in scripture. And which marveling does Jesus do to your faith? To this centurion, he marvels at the faith that this centurion had in the authority of Jesus Christ and in the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaking about the town of Nazareth, he marveled at their lack of faith. He he just marveled. He could not believe how little faith they had. Because you see, Nazareth, they had put Jesus into their own box. They had seen Jesus grown up. Maybe they grew up with Jesus. They've been to church all their life. They've been a part of Christianity. They've served that church for X amount of years. So Jesus can only fit into this exact box that I've required. Jesus marvels at that. And yet this centurion, from the outside looking in, he has faith that, hey, whatever he says, it's going to happen. Family, are you not allowing Jesus to work in your life because you've put him into a specific box and how you allow him to work? Have you grown up with Christianity so much that you're just used to it all and you're so comfortable with it all? We've seen Jesus grow up. He's the carpenter's son. I've had to wash his clothes. I've seen who he is. He can only work like this. Nazareth, he was barely able to do any miracles because they had so little faith. He was not desiring to do it there. However, in this Gentile's life, he was more than willing to heal his servant. Back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Other gospels tell us Jesus had just come from the synagogue. And now in verse 14, it says, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, the other gospels revealed to us that they had asked Jesus, knowing that Peter's mother-in-law was sick, they asked Jesus to come into the home. For all the husbands here, if your mother-in-law is sick, don't thank God and pray it, that it happens, right? Bring Jesus into the occasion, but separate teaching. They asked Jesus to come into the house and to heal the mother-in-law. Jesus comes in and he sees the wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Other gospels tell us that he stood over her and rebuked the fever and she arose and served him. Now for the husbands here, hopefully we can be honest about ourselves. We get a small cold and what happens? Right, we're just knocked out on the couch. I can't do anything. I think I'm dying, right? You Have a cold, man. You'll, you'll be okay. For a woman, much less a mother, to lie sick in bed and do nothing, she's got to be sick as a dog. And the other scripture tells us that she had a severe, a great fever. So she has this great sickness and this great fever, and yet Jesus comes and he heals her. And how soon does it happen? Once again, immediately immediately Jesus heals her. If you've ever had a fever and it breaks, do you get up right away and start working around the house and doing things? No, you keep drinking Pedialyte, you keep drinking Emergency, you swing by La Carreta, you get a chicken noodle soup, right? And you keep healing yourself up. This woman, the moment she's healed, she gets up and she begins to serve them. The word serve, it's the same word for deacon. She begins to wait, wait on them. Hey, what do you guys need? What do you guys want to eat? You want pasta bocadito, right? You want this? You want that? What can I make for you? And what a testimony and truth and reality of how we should respond when Jesus has healed us. Are you serving others? Or do you think your healing of Jesus Christ is just so that you can love yourself all the more? Jesus, you've only healed me so I can feel more comfortable and love myself more. No, true healing of Jesus Christ should cause us to want to serve others. Oftentimes we think our lives are just about ourselves and it's a selfish lie of the enemy. Many times with the young adults, I warn them, marriage is not just so you can stare at each other's eyes and spin around in circles from now to when Jesus comes back. Marriage is about glorifying God to a greater level. And the way we glorify God is by no doubt loving our spouse as Christ loved the church and respecting our spouse, but loving the body of Christ and serving the body of Christ. Verse 16 and 17, I'm sure Peter and Jesus, the disciples, right? Peter's mother-in-law, we don't know her name. She's making them bacalao and all of this fried food, right? All of this fish that Peter and Andrew have caught. And then in verse 16, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Never in the history of mankind had there been a night like this night. People are just being brought to Jesus Christ. Perhaps people that weren't even willing to come, and people are bringing their own friends, their own family members who are demon-possessed and sick, and they bring them to Jesus Christ. And he just heals them with a word. He casts out the demons with just a word. And he did all this to fulfill what Isaiah says, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And family, the greatest sickness and infirmity that Jesus bore for us was our own sin. He took our sin, our incurable disease, and on the cross he placed it all upon himself Here begins the great ministry of Jesus Christ, gaining back ground that the enemy thought that he had won. All of these demon-possessed people, all of these sick people, Jesus with just a word is healing them. And we can know how the enemy must have been angry. But let's turn to Isaiah 53. And we'll close here. Worship team, you guys can start making your way up here. Pastors, you can start getting ready. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verse 3. It tells us he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted, he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are healed of our sins by his pain and agony. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Family, Christ, he's more than willing to heal you and cleanse you of your sins. He's more than willing. But may we, like that leper, may we, like that centurion, may we, like... The family of Peter's mother in law and all these people brought to Jesus, may we bring ourselves to Jesus? May we come to him and worship him and crowd, saying, You are Lord and I am not. My, my kids are not my Lord. I encourage you to listen to the teaching last Sunday. My kids are not Lord of my life. My spouse is not Lord of my life. My job, my business, money is not Lord of my life. My comfort, What's most comfortable for me is not Lord of my life. Jesus, whatever your word says, I want to be quick to do. So I just encourage you, don't hold on to your own self-preservation, your own pride that you've built up. Come up front. Pray with one of the pastors. Grab your spouse say, hey, let's go pray. We know what's going on in our lives. We we need prayer right now. We need to come up and say, Lord, if you're willing, would you speak to the situation and do as you please? But hey, let's all stand. We'll close in prayer. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front during this time of worship. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness towards us. And Lord, just give us that heart of humility, Lord, for anyone here who has been wrestling with you, Lord. Perhaps we've been trying to protect our own pride. We've been trying to protect, Lord, Uh, this idol that we've created about how holy we are, how good we are, how good our family is. Lord, may we feel and sense and know just how spiritually bankrupt we are, Lord. Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us. Forgive us of our pride, Lord, thinking we somehow deserve all the blessings that we have or deserve the office or the place where we serve, Lord. Lord, just thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord, how it's your mercy over us and over and over again in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your grace, Lord, just your goodness towards us in spite of our sin, Lord, in the midst of our sin, how you don't strike us dead and yet how you call to us to come to you, Lord. So, Lord, help us. Help us to just lay down our pride and continually come to you. May we be those multitudes that are seeking you, Lord, for your word, but also that you would heal us of our sins, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray, amen.